Good morning, and welcome to New York Sports and Beyond on 98.7 ESPN, where our goal every Sunday is to entertain, enlighten, and expose you to information that can lead to positive change in your life. I'm Larry Hardesty. Well, COVID is back at the top of our news cycle as wearing a mask indoors becomes mandatory in New York State, regardless of vaccinations. The combination of Thanksgiving and the Omicron variant has caused numbers to rise again across the country. This morning, we'll speak to Dr. Jidan Phillips from Stony Brook University to bring you the latest information on the COVID pandemic. So please have a pen, pencil, piece of paper handy, or, you know, the smartphone, iPad, or whatever you use to take down valuable information you're here this morning. And as always, we thank you for making us a part of your day while preparing for an early run or perhaps a sunrise service. We'll discuss what you need to know about COVID and how it could affect your family when New York Sports and Beyond returns on 98.7 ESPN. Welcome back to New York Sports and Beyond on 98.7 ESPN. I'm Larry Hardesty. Dr. Jadan Phillips was born in Queens. He attended Johns Hopkins University for undergraduate degree. He received a medical doctorate from the University of Maryland Medical School. He completed residency in family medicine at Stony Brook Medical Center, where he currently serves as the clinical associate professor at the Renaissance Medical School. He provides primary care to patients in Suffolk County and the Long Island area. He's also part of the Omega Psi Phi Fraternity COVID-19 Task Force, which has been providing weekly Zoom updates to communities since February of 2020. Let's welcome back Dr. Jadan Phillips to New York Sports and Beyond. Hey, Doc, how are you? Good morning. Good morning. How are you today? I'm doing good. Boy, we need you. <laughs> We've got a ton of yeah. stats that's really gone off the chain. Let, let, let's begin here. Let's begin with the fact that New York City and state has reinstituted mandatory face masks, uh, the wearing of, ma of wearing of face masks, whether you're vaccinated or not, because of the numbers going up. Yeah, I, I think, you know, we're trying to be preemptive. I think we've already had the experience of what happened last year, where we saw the rise um, increase after Halloween, exacerbated more so after Thanksgiving, and then going into Christmas and New Year's, the numbers had gotten up to the point where I believe by uh, January of earlier this year, we were almost at about 4,000 people dying a day. And right now we're about 1,100 people nationwide dying a day. And the point of the mandates is, number one, that masking is very effective against whatever variant or strain of COVID we're talking about. And this is something that can hopefully decrease or limit the spread of COVID because we have a new player on the field right now that's even more effective at being contagious. All right, and let's that talk is Omicron. Right. And let's talk about Omicron. What do we know about that variant so far, doctor? Well, we know that it's spreading rapidly. We saw the first case of Omicron maybe about two weeks ago in the United States, out in California. We've now seen cases in 33 different states. Initially, it was seen only in South Africa, and now it's been seen in 77 different countries worldwide. So what we do know is that Omicron is extremely contagious, much more infectious than the variants that we have seen thus far. One of the concerns with it is the structure of it is somewhat different than the previous variants. So there is some concern of the possibility that this variant could be something that would not be as responsive to our vaccinations. 
but we have not seen that as of yet. Um, right now, it seems that the majority of the infections are milder. Now, you know, over the past few days, I have had individuals that I know personally who are vaccinated and have, you know, unfortunately encountered uh, COVID and had situations. But the good thing was all of them had very mild symptoms. However, again, for those that are not vaccinated or have medical conditions that would make you more susceptible, there is that strong possibility that your infection could be much more severe. Another thing that's a big concern is if we get a lot of people that are infected, even though they don't get very ill, what it does is it utilizes medical services and resources. And if those resources are overwhelmed, then say if you have a broken bone or if you have a heart attack or if you have an infection, which are, you know, some simple medical conditions that can be handled in an emergency room or urgent care, now we don't have the resources to deal with those conditions. So it's not even just the COVID direct impact. It's also the other things that can be impacted because of the high numbers of COVID. Dr. Phillips, I know it's early with the with the Omicron variant, but do we know if is it as deadly as the other variants like 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 the Delta variant, for example? Well, right now it looks like the cases are milder, but the other concerns are that it can spread to people that are vulnerable. And why is that a big issue? Unfortunately, right now we've got about 95 to 100 million people in the United States who are eligible for vaccination but do not have a vaccine. And unfortunately, as we have shown and known from before, these, this virus and these variants are looking for the unvaccinated. I'll give you an example. The African-American average vaccination rate for fully vaccinated in the United States is about 10%. And a lot of people of color tend to live in communities made up of other individuals of color. So potentially, as we look around the country, that in those communities, you might have a 10%, maybe 20% vaccination rate, which unfortunately gives the variant the virus, an incredible opportunity to infect people. Because as I've said earlier, this Omicron variant is much more infectious. So its ability to spread, as we've seen in two weeks, it's already gone from one state to 33 states. And the problem is in those communities where there are lower vaccination rates, there tends to be other medical issues. And for those vulnerable people that may be infected with it or better yet, even if you're vaccinated, if you're not wearing a mask, you could have a family member that is vulnerable, not vaccinated, have these medical issues, and you could spread it to them. So the, the chances of potential damage are very scary and, and highly probable if we don't change the course of this path right now that we're on, which looks like the numbers are going up in a major way. Dr. Phillips, what would you suggest as travel? Okay, we've got Christmas coming up, New Year's. We want to see our families. We've been, you know, trapped for a while. Uh, what are the precautions that we need to take? Do we need to look and see what the uh, numbers are before we travel, even to see our loved ones if we're going from state to state? And what about leaving the country at this time? 
Well, I think, number one, you know, I think the biggest thing in light of the fact that Omicron is spreading throughout the country and worldwide in a, in a very alarming rate, that, you know, what we have seen that there is a level of protection uh, if you're fully vaccinated. So I would recommend if you are considering travel over the holidays, I would consider, you know, initiating the process of getting vaccinated as one safety measure. In addition to that, you know, again, you still got to be mindful of masking and things of that nature. Um, the other thing that I would educate myself about, especially if you're traveling internationally, is knowing what the rules are for travel to that specific area. What are the testing requirements? You know, what are the vaccination requirements? Because, again, you don't want to get to another country and then be re restricted from returning or traveling because you weren't aware of what their COVID rules are. Um, I think that, you know, again, car travel is probably a lot more, if you have to, it's probably a lot more uh, safe than probably air or train travel because with car travel, you you have a little more control over your environment. On the trains you, or buses or airways, you're going to be mixed with a lot of other people, which, again, you know, increases the risk. Uh, but again, I think that, you know, the other thing that I would, you know, do is, you know, have a conversation with your doctor. You know, mm -hmm. if you have one, hey, you know, this is what I'm considering doing. What do you, what do you think? You know, make sure that, you know, if, if you're not vaccinated, that you've had that conversation. Because, again, this is a great resource having us on ESPN discussing this. But, you know, ESPN should not be someone's doctor. And you definitely want to you know, have this conversation about this because I understand the, the fatigue. I have the fatigue myself. And as I, you know, I do these weekly Zoom meetings discussing COVID, and as I was preparing last night, I started to feel the, you know, the down feeling because of the numbers going back up and really being ready for this to be over with. But unfortunately, we've got to be, we've got to be steadfast. We've got to maintain because, COVID is waiting for us to lower our guards. And I think that has been part of the problem as we've seen these numbers go up. It's because people feel, hey, I'm vaccinated. I don't need to wear a mask. I'm not going to get a bed or I'm young. I'm healthy. It's not going to you know, affect me. But the potential that you can spread it to someone who's vulnerable, especially, as I mentioned, like, in, for example, in the African-American community, where the vaccination rates across the board are lower, you know, in a significant way. These are spaces where the virus has an amazing potential to infect many people. And as it multiplies, the other danger is we can get another variant because the multiplication of the virus leads to the mutation, which can lead to the development of these variants. You're listening to the voice of clinical associate professor at Stony Brook University, Dr. Jadan Phillips. This is New York Sports and Beyond here on 98.7 ESPN. I'm Larry Hardesty. When New York Sports and Beyond returns, less talks, vaccinations, and boosters. We are 98.7 ESPN New York. Thanks for stopping by New York Sports and Beyond on 98.7 ESPN. I'm Larry Hardesty. Let's continue my conversation with Dr. Jadan Phillips, clinical associate professor at Stony Brook Renaissance Medical School and part of the Omega Phi Psi Fraternity COVID-19 Task Force. Doctor, we'll talk about the vaccinations in a second, but I want to talk to you about those who um, are on the fence about getting vaccinated. And it's interesting. I have conversations with folks all the time, as you can well imagine. And... Mm -hmm. 
a number of folks have said to me that they haven't got vaccinated and they've spoken to other people who are in the medical profession who have said to them, you know, I don't know if I would do it. We don't know everything that's going on with it. We don't everything what's into vaccines. We don't know what's going to happen right now. You might want to wait for you as a person who's doing these Zoom meetings and going on radio and, and, you know, serving your own clientele. How frustrating is that uh, for people in the medical field to give kind of a different view when really, I guess the best thing they should say, doctor, is why don't you speak to your doctor? Because really everybody has special conditions that may cause a little, you know, a a little change from what the norm for everybody else is. Well, the first thing I would say is for the physicians specifically, the danger is if you're spreading misinformation, you know, I know as being a fellow of the American Association of Family Practitioners, you can and the state licensing boards. If you're putting out information that's not actually true, your licensing can be put under question, and you can lose your privileges to practice medicine or to be working in a medical space. So again, I think it's important to make sure that you are, if you are dispensing information, that you're dispensing accurate information. Unfortunately, we have seen, to a higher degree, higher than we would like. There's a great degree of misinformation that's being spread, and the misinformation, unfortunately, is making people make decisions that may not be the best for them. So, as you just said, I think having that conversation with your doctor is extremely important because, again, you know, no disrespect to anybody's medical knowledge, but Dr. Facebook and Dr. YouTube, you know, aren't always spreading the right information. So if that's where you're exclusively getting your information, I would look elsewhere. The CDC has been great. You know, the American Association of Family Practitioners, the American Association of Pediatrics, these are all spaces that are recognized worldwide and nationwide and have co-signed the effectiveness and the support of this vaccination. So again, at my institution, unfortunately, I have seen some colleagues that I've worked with have not, they don't work with me anymore because of, you know, the mandates and restrictions that they placed on clinical staff that work directly with patients in having and being vaccinated. So, you know, I think that, again, you know, there's a responsibility that we have to do no harm. And part of that doing no harm is making sure that we give people the right information. You know, I see some doctors, again, they may not be up to date with what's going on with COVID. Then if you're dealing with patients, you might want to, you know, brush up yourself. Um, In addition to that, for the patients, you know, again, you don't want to have casual conversations about this decision. You know, for some, it's a very, very critical and important decision. And I have had patients come in just to exclusively say, hey, this is my situation. Um, I'm not sure about getting the shot. What do you think? I heard this is something that is happening with the vaccine. Could you tell me what, what you're hearing? You know, and I've had patients that have said, hey, you know what? I've waited, but I really waited to talk to you. So now that you're giving me the green light, I'm going to go get my shot. You know, because unfortunately, that's been another thing that we've seen is with this pandemic and things going remotely and offices closing, you don't always see people having been in with their doctors in the recent past. Mm. And because of that, they get confronted with this decision of, do I get vaccinated or not? And now we have, do I get the booster or do I get my child 
who is eligible to be vaccinated to get vaccinated or not. So, you know, I personally have, you know, chosen the path of vaccination. I have a 13-year-old son, and he had, you know, he was, you know, to get vaccinated. And recently, you know, one of his friends who I said, you know what, you should consider it, came back and said to me, hey, I have a teammate who wasn't able to run in a track meet, and I'm really glad that I was able to run because I had my vaccine. And you told me that that was going to be a problem so or be an issue. So, again, I think that, you know, as we see these numbers going up, I think it's important to make sure that whatever decision you make, it's not an emotional decision. It's a decision that is based in and rooted in facts. And, again, your first place you should go to to get these questions answered are your doctor that you have. And to make an appointment, hey, to just ask questions about the COVID vaccine is a great reason to go see the doctor if you haven't seen it. And no doubt about that. All right, doctor, you, you did the transition. Let's go right there. Let's talk about boosters and vaccinations. And we before we get to the boosters, I want to get your thoughts because there's been news out recently, and I want to get your thoughts on the update that those who took the Johnson & Johnson one shot must now take a second shot two months after the initial dose. Now, Pfizer and Moderna were two shots from the beginning. Uh, is Was there some research that found that maybe a second shot from Johnson & Johnson would be more effective? Well, what it showed was that there was a slight decrease in the immunity strength that the vaccine was providing you. And they saw it after looking at all these people that have had the vaccine because they've been watching. These vaccines are probably the most researched, you know, medical hmm. thing in history. So they've been watching this and they've seen at a two month point that there is a, a decrease. Now, why is that a big deal? Because we have these variants that are highly infectious. And say if you're a man has exposure, say you're a person that has medical conditions that put you at risk, that decrease could potentially mean that you might have uh, a deal to deal with COVID. So what they're recommending is that that second shot restores that level of strength to fight against the virus. So that's why they're encouraging the booster. And now it seems that with the most recent, uh, the boosters are recommended for everyone of the age of 18, that whether it's you have the Johnson and Johnson in two months, or if you've had the Moderna and Pfizer after six months of your after your second shot, and the other benefit um, or thing that they, you know, noted at this time is the ability for people to mix and match their booster shots, and the research behind it shows that there may be a slight increase in your immune coverage that you have and you know even though it's something that we have not normally seen in the united states because we've been one of the countries that has had an amazing amount of vaccine available in other places of the world where they don't have these robust supplies they've had to look at things to make their supply stretch such as mixing and matching unfortunately the mixing and matching has actually shown to be beneficial in improving to a small degree the level of immune strength that you have against the um, the virus. Have there been any different side effects from the boosters than what people felt from the original shot or two shots they took with the vaccination? No, as far as the majority. Now, again, you know, when we talk about side effects, you know, people are going to say that there can be some, you know, clotting issues with Johnson & Johnson, some heart issues with Moderna and Pfizer. 
but those side effects have been seen at such a small degree um, in both cases. But the most common side effects that they have seen is some soreness in the site and some uh, fever-like fatigue, maybe a little bit of uh, of fever or flu-like symptoms that last for about 24 hours at the most, and then they resolve completely. Now, another variable to keep in mind, especially for female patients, and I just recently had this with a patient of mine, was if you have someone who may be getting their mammogram, they may want to get the vac, um, the booster after they get their mammogram done because if you get the booster, there's been in some small cases that they've shown an enlargement of the lymph node on the side where you received the vaccination. Now, when you're having a mammogram, the finding of that abnormal lymph node could be indicative of a major problem, and you might put yourself in a situation where you have to have uh, some additional testing and procedures done that may not even be necessary. So for patients that may have a mammogram, you know, set up, you probably want to get your mammogram before you get your booster shot or put off your booster to maybe four to six weeks after you put off your mammogram to four to six weeks after your booster shot. All right. That's great advice. Let's now talk about kids uh, getting the shots. Take us through that. What are some of the discussions that you've had and you're hearing that parents are concerned about with their, with their children? Well, again, I think parents are concerned about the safety of it, but as we look the population where we have seen the largest growth in the past year or so has been the pediatric population. That 12 to 17 year old group, you've seen a jump in pediatric cases in comparison to last year of over 800%. So the pediatric numbers, even though they may not be as high as the numbers that we've seen for the adults, they have still been very, very high and growing at a very alarming rate in the pediatric population. However, what we have seen, again, is that the cases and the risk, you know, this group still is not showing that with the vaccines available that the kids are getting the vaccine. So, unfortunately, what does that do? That makes these children a potential conduit for the spread of it to their grandmother who may live at home with them, uh, to their parent who may not have been vaccinated or has other medical issues. And like I mentioned earlier, could also, you know, not being vaccinated, have you excluded from some school activities like athletic activities or other, you know, in-person type of interactions that can happen with the kids. So with my parents, you know, again, I, I, I make a point to bring it up, you know, hey, what are your thoughts about it? You know, whether it's the booster for themselves or what are their thoughts about the um, vaccination for their children? Number one, just creating a space where, you know, if they do have questions that I am making myself or acknowledging myself to them as a resource to answer the questions. And again, letting them know the data as far as the risk that we're seeing with these increasing cases. I know at Stony Brook in the past, say, two, three months, most of our COVID admissions have been younger people. You know, I'm not saying all teenagers, but they've been younger than what we saw in the beginning. And why is that? Because that's the group where we're not seeing the um, levels of vaccination that we see in our over 65 group now 
who was the unfortunate, you know, victims and, you know, uh, uh, vulnerable population in the beginning. But once the vaccine came out and we addressed it in that population, we've seen the death, we've seen the hospitalizations go down. But it's important to recognize that it's affecting our children as well. And if we don't do something, and the first thing I would recommend to a parent is educate yourself if you have grandson. You know, we have had vaccines forever. I mean, both of us probably to go to school, to go to college, to play sports. I know to go to graduate school, I had to get vaccine records and be vaccinated or have my childhood vaccinations be up to date. So, again, the whole concept of vaccinations, I don't think is one that is concerning because it's something we've always had to do. However, I do think that we've got to confront the apprehension by making sure that we provide people with understandable information so that they are, you know, not relying solely upon, I'm just scared. I'm not going to do this or I'm going to do this because I'm scared. I want you to make that decision more rooted in, okay, I see why I should. That makes sense. And that's what it's about. The power of information is... Well, in this case, it's it's a lifesaver, right? It it helps yeah. you make the decision for you and your family uh, to keep you safe. This is this is the voice of Dr. Jadan Phillips. He's the clinical associated professor at Stony Brook University. You're listening to New York Sports and Beyond here on 98.7 ESPN. I'm Larry Hardesty. Coming up, what are the options for those who can't take vaccines? This is New York Sports and Beyond on 98.7 ESPN. You're listening to New York Sports and Beyond on 98.7 ESPN. Let's conclude my discussion with Dr. Jadan Phillips. Doctor, let's talk about well, let's talk about these home kits and the home testing kits. How exact are they? How accurate are they? Should we have them and stack up on getting them and kind of monitor ourselves? Well, I think there's certain scenarios where home kits could be helpful. You know, again, say I'm traveling to see you and your family and I'm coming with, with coming myself. You know, maybe me, me doing a home kit before, two to three days before I depart is something that can let you know, hey, I'm good to go. You know, so I think in those types of scenarios, the home kits can definitely be helpful. Um, again, there's still a degree as the science and technology has improved, the accuracy has improved. So, again, you know, even though the accuracy is improved, the thing that I always say is if you think you have COVID, then act like you got COVID. Because there is, with any of the tests, even though, again, with the technology and the time, things have gotten better, you know, there can be a, a, a false positive or a false negative. And if you feel like, hey, you know what, me and Larry were in the car together, we drove from D.C. to New York and I, he called me today, this morning and said he had COVID, then until I get proven otherwise, I need to act as if I've been exposed. I don't need to, well, I'm just going to get it, you know, do what I do and then get a test and wait on and see what the test. I need to take that initial step to do all the things, not just the testing, also the quarantine that as far as exclude or secluding yourself from other people that you could potentially expose it to. So I do think that we need testing. I think testing is critical. I get a test once a week just because I work at a hospital and I work with patients. So I get a test once a week just to let me know, 
are my measures of safety, are they good? Are they working? You know, again, because the thing that we see is with the vaccinated, there's a good chance that you could be an asymptomatic spreader. So if you're concerned, that test could be something to let you know, oh, wow, you know what? I'm not going to see mom or dad on Saturday or see dad on Sunday to watch the Jets game. I'm going to stay home, you know, because I see that I've been exposed. So I do think that there is some practical purpose and usefulness to the test. Um, again, you know, in what's happening currently, I think home tests can be very helpful, you know, with your travel and if you're hosting and if you're going to someone else's home, you know, these are steps that you can let them know or let them let you know that I'm not bringing any negative baggage into your living space. Dr. Phillips, with because of the Omicron variant and what's going on with it, is it advisable to get the booster now? Should you wait and see if it's going to be as effective against this variant? And or we may need another booster shot sometime next year. I mean, what, what what's our thought process there? Well, again, the concern was without the booster, there was a decrease in the preliminary data of the effectiveness of the vaccine. And with the booster, we've seen that effectiveness against these variants, at least in the preliminary data, improve. So, again, what does the booster or what's the benefit of the booster? It can give you added protection against Omicron. And, you know, 50 or, or 50 percent protection, to 80 percent protection. That's a big difference, especially if you're an older person, especially if you have health care, health conditions, especially if you work in a space or travel or have exposures where you're around a lot of people in those spaces. I would want to make sure that I'm protecting myself to the to the highest degree that I'm able to. So to sum that up, I would definitely recommend considering your booster if you're eligible. OK, generally speaking, and I know you can't be specific, but. What are some of the situations where a person cannot take the vaccine and what are their options if they can't? Well, again, um, as far as the situations that we've seen where people can't take the vaccine, that means, number one, one circumstance is I have had a severe allergic reaction in receiving a vaccine in the past. And it was an immediate allergic reaction, meaning, you know, I get my shot and then all of a sudden I feel swelling in my mouth, my tongue, my lips. That's an immediate reaction. So that would be an absolute contraindication. If you have an allergic uh, reaction to any of the components of the vaccine, that would be an absolute contraindication. If you have received a COVID vaccination, uh, maybe the first shot in the past, and you had an allergic reaction to that, that would be contraindication. And if you are a person who at the time of the considering getting vaccinated, you're dealing with a moderate or severe illness, that would be another circumstance where they would say not to have the vaccine. Now, you have some other conditions, some rheumatologic conditions like rheumatoid arthritis, you know, in, with certain medications that are used to treat that, you know, you may have to schedule your vaccination around your treatment schedule. So again, what it speaks to, as I said a few minutes ago, the importance of us involving our medical providers in making this decision. I have a family member who has rheumatoid arthritis 
and she had to wait a few months after finishing her medical treatment for her condition in order to get her vaccination. And that was coordinated with her doctor. So again, if you don't have one of those absolute considerations, you know, really a lot of the other stuff is things that may be negotiable with the timing of the shot. Another thing, you know, if there's a concern, they can observe you instead of the 15 minutes, they may observe you for 30 minutes after you've been vaccinated, you know, to make sure that there's no side effects. But again, those are probably the only absolute circumstances where you can't. Now with other medical conditions, I have heart disease, I have diabetes, I've had a stroke, you know, I've got emphysema or lung disease. You know, those are conditions that it's probably recommended to get vaccinated or receive the booster because those conditions actually, if you were infected with COVID and were vaccinated, could make it where you could still have a difficult time. Or if you weren't vaccinated, could make it, you know, I had a friend earlier this week and I told him he's not in the best of health and he just recently got COVID. I said, bro, if you weren't vaccinated, I would imagine that you might have died from COVID. Wow. You know, so again, you know, even though he's homesick, the blessing was he was homesick and not in the hospital dealing with this. And the reason he was home was because he had some immune response to be able to protect him from the serious disease, the hospitalization, and the death. You know, what's curious for me, Dr. Phillips, is you, and obviously you would think in densely populated areas like the five boroughs. Uh, that you would see that the the numbers would really be, you know, higher. But for some reason, in some of the residential areas, like in Long Island, around Stony Brook University, where you, you know, where, where you're, uh, you're practicing your, your doctorship, uh, mm-hmm. numbers are rising there also. And it's, it's interesting because you would think in a, a wide area, right, where it's not everybody's not next to each other, where buildings are not necessarily connected as they are in some areas of the five boroughs, you'd understand why the numbers are so high there. It's kind of interesting that the numbers are higher in some of the sub, some of the suburban areas. Well, I think one of the things that has created that, you know, in, in the city, in the five boroughs, you have masking mandates, you have vaccination requirements, and I think that that whether people like to be told or not, I think there's a safety response that is as a result of this. And I think, unfortunately, you know, out here, we've got a a lot of people that don't appreciate being masked uh, with the population that I said that was particularly infectious, meaning our adolescent population. You've had schools that are not really in favor of of masking mandates, so you got people who are not wearing masks. And as I said, you know, with these variants, specifically Omicron and Delta, they are much more infectious than what we have encountered in the very beginning. So that heightened infectious nature of the variants combined with the reluctance to wear masks, um, the low vaccination rates in certain spaces, I think that that can contribute to why, you know, you get, you are seeing the increase in the numbers in rural areas. I mean, it's not just Long Island. You're seeing other areas in the country. Now, I think in New York City proper, you know, having that experience of being locked down in the beginning taught us of how bad COVID can be. Mm. And I think a lot of areas in the country 
did not experience it in the same way. They didn't get locked down. They didn't have the subway system shut down. And I think that with that, those are also areas where they have health risk as well. You know, they may not have doctors prevalent, you know, as numerous as we have in the five boroughs or other medical services. And because they have less medical services, not only to deal with COVID, but also other issues, if they get hit with a high level of cases, that is a scenario that can lead to that medical system being overwhelmed. And then, as I mentioned at the top of our conversation, an overwhelmed medical system doesn't just not take care of COVID in a great way, but it also doesn't take care of other regular medical conditions that normally would not result in life or death. You know, those conditions like a heart attack, like a, an infection, like a broken bone, those scenarios are not being addressed because people say, you know what, I don't want to go to the hospital because I can get COVID there. You know, or better yet, if you do go to the hospital, hospital doesn't have the resources to give you the expert care that you are requiring. So I think there's a couple variables that contribute to the higher numbers in some uh, suburban areas. And like I said, masking and people not willing to mask, I think contributes to it. I think especially, you know, what we are seeing in our adolescent high school population, as far as the, the fight to mask, I think that has contributed to the possibility that the variants can spread at a high rate. Doctor, what, what are the suggestions if we're going out to watch a football game or a basketball game or hockey game? Uh, should we double mask? Should we, you know, we're not going to be able to have the socially distance that we would like to in a lot of those cases. What, what should we do? Well, I think, again, you, you got to look at where you're going. I mean, you know, if you're going indoors, it's arid space. What are the, the rules and regulations? I think we're very, very fortunate in New York City, I, I recently went with my wife to see Alvin Anthony last weekend. And again, you have to be vaccinated. You have to show your vaccine card. You are wearing your mask the whole time of the performance. And they have a person that walks around with a sign so they don't even have to get into a back and forth words with you that says, pull your mask up above your nose. So with those safety measures, again, I think that they add a little confidence. You know, however, you know, I still think that you, you still got to be mindful of yourself. You know, am I feeling well? Um, you know, I think that goes into to, to, um, plays a role here. But, you know, I think, again, think about aeration or the, the ventilation of the space you're going to. Think about the spacing available of the space you're going to. And as I said, I think the two things that we have um, to our benefit are the mandates for vaccination at, in indoor spaces and the uh, need for masking uh, in indoor spaces. And I think those two things, you know, I'm, you know, I'm not saying I'm going to just go to every single outdoor <laughs> or indoor thing, but what I am saying is that for the things that I choose to go to, like an Alvin Ailey performance, I, I felt that we were safe. I felt that with the rules in place, I felt that, you know, my wife and I were, were safe. And, um, you know, I did go get a test this week just to confirm. And fortunately, the test was negative. So, you know, I think that those are some things you got to keep in mind, you know, when you're going out. Because if you don't, big brother, big sister COVID is waiting right there to catch you slipping. And when it catches you slipping, 
Unfortunately, we're still hearing people get sick from it. And unfortunately, you know, the, the sadder stories that I hear are, are happening still in a majority of people that are not vaccinated. So, again, because we still in the United States, I think we're at 61 percent fully vaccinated. As we talked the first time we had this conversation, Larry, um, herd immunity was 75 to 80 percent of the total population being vaccinated. So we don't even have the benefits of herd immunity. So to abandon the safety measures, the spacing, the, the masking is not, even if you're, you're vaccinated, is not a smart thing because even though you may not get very sick, you could still spread it to someone else who's vulnerable. And from these numbers, we see that quite a few people are still not vaccinated. And unfortunately, even though people are vaccinated, you're still seeing a lot of people have reluctance to get the booster shot, even though they got the two initial vaccines, even though they would be eligible for the booster. So it's like reapproaching the reluctance all over again. Dr. Phillips, great. Thank you for all the information you gave us this morning. A lot to think about, a lot to process. And I guess if we sum it up in review, it's if you have a family doctor, go talk to that doctor. Make sure that because they know exactly what's going on with your health, let them talk. You have that conversation and make the decision going forward. And if you if you don't have a family doctor, then you have to do some of your research. But do it on the Internet. Go to you know, reputable places, CDC. There's a number of places that you can go and have that conversation. And doctor, we thank you for joining us this morning and a continued success and have a great holiday. Thank you, sir. You have a blessed day. That wraps up this edition of New York Sports and Beyond on 98.7 ESPN. We thank you for listening. We'll join you this evening during the week on ESPN New York tonight with Gordon Damon right back here next Sunday morning on New York Sports and Beyond. For my all-world producer, Ray Santiago, and the coach, Anthony Pusick, we'll see you next week. The conversation continues right here on 98.7 ESPN, New York.